I was delighted to receive a message earlier on this week from Dr. Edith Ihiyama, who I'm thrilled is with us again this morning on one of the final weekends before she will be ordained deacon at Southerminster on Sunday, July the 2nd. A message saying that she would love to come and worship with us all today. It was very special to have Edith with us in our Cranmer group across a number of months last year as part of her ordination training, gaining experience in a very different ministry from her principal placement context in Clifton. And Edith gained her first experience of leading part of the Book of Common Prayers service of Holy Communion here in Watton as well. And did jolly well, I seem to remember too. But it's particularly good to have Edith with us today on Trinity Sunday because it's the day on which in time-honoured Church of England tradition it's always the most junior team member, potentially the curate, maybe the ordinand, who's given the responsibility of preaching because no one wants uh, to, uh, to do what's seen as the hideously difficult job of explaining in their sermon the doctrine of the Trinity. So, so Edith, would you, would you like to come forward now? Don't worry. I thought you'd just about regain for that. It wasn't planned. She hasn't fainted yet. Um, I am very definitely joking, and the responsibility for preaching today sits squarely with me. Um, but it is true that there is that, at least amongst, amongst clergy, that slightly jokey tradition. And there is a bit of a widespread aversion amongst clergy to preaching on Trinity Sunday. Uh, because the concept of the Trinity seems to be one of the hardest things in the Christian faith for us to get our heads around. We believe that God is of one substance, um, but that that nature reveals itself to us in three persons. God our Heavenly Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, of course, as the historical language of the prayer book has it. So let's turn to our readings this morning to see how they might be able to help us understand better the God whom we have gathered together this morning to worship. Because that's what all of this is about. When we talk about Christian doctrine and theology, complicated sounding things, um, they're ultimately there to help us know more fully and closely and clearly the God to whom we pray, whose praises we sing, and of whose holy meal we partake in the sharing of communion with one another. So on this Trinity Sunday, as we consider the Holy Trinity, our triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, please do bear in mind that I'm not, um, so to speak, trying to blind you with theological science, but all that we're doing is seeking together to know better and to love more the God who loves us more than we can ever imagine. Both of our readings come right at the very end of the books of which they form a part. St Matthew's Gospel 
and St Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Those Corinthians, the early Christians who lived in the metropolitan thriving commercial centre of Corinth on the isthmus uh, between the Greek mainland and the Peloponnese. In the case of Matthew, we have the final instructions of Jesus to his disciples, what's known as the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus is just about to return to be with his heavenly Father at this point, the ascension that we celebrated just over a fortnight ago, 40 days after Easter Day. And as he does so, These are the things that he instructs his disciples to do. This is very last instructions to them. And therefore we can reasonably assume that these are the most important things that Jesus wanted his followers to remember. And go and do once he's no longer there with them. They're what the three years of his ministry, of investing in these disciples, of um, encouraging them to to be bold and step out in their faith. That's what uh, those three years have been pointing towards. The central element of these instructions is that Jesus' followers should go and make disciples of all nations. That is, that they should share the good news of the teachings and the ministry uh, and the miracles of Jesus Christ uh, with all who are willing to hear them and invite them to ask Jesus into their lives as their Lord and Saviour. Invite them to follow in his footsteps. And the way in which these new believers were to be received and welcomed into God's family, the church, was through baptism, as is still the case today, and specifically baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself specifies that the way in which his new followers were to be received into the church is through these sacramental words. Sacrament, an outward sign of the inner grace that we receive from God when we accept him into our lives as our Lord. So we welcome new adults and children, and in fact, uh, we'll be baptising a little lass Orla at uh, 11 o'clock next Sunday at Aslockton. And we look forward to that. Uh, We welcome uh, adults and children into God's family with these words that Jesus has given us. But there's more to them than simply the fact that this is the phrase that Christ told us to use. I'll be making this baptism declaration over little Orla, just as every member of the clergy makes the same declaration over any infant or child or indeed adult being baptised, because this reflects the reality of life as as a follower of Jesus Christ. Life to the full as Jesus declares in St John's Gospel. And I suggest that this life to the full consists of knowing and understanding our triune God in three ways, summed up in three words, perhaps. Over, with, 
and in. We start with God over us as creator and father, maker of all things, the one to whom we pray. Then we move on to God with us, Emmanuel in the original Hebrew, as we read in the Christmas story, the person of Jesus. Jesus, God's son, born on earth, fully God and fully man, sharing in our joys, sharing in our sorrows and sufferings, and through whom we can be fully reconciled with our heavenly father once again. And then we come to God in us, the Holy Spirit sent by the Father and the Son on the first Pentecost to be in us as followers of Jesus Christ, leading us, guiding us, prompting us, encouraging us, comforting us. It's only through inviting God to live within us, to have God in us in the form of the Holy Spirit, that our lives can truly be transformed, that we can know the peace and the love of God in our hearts and live our lives truly to the full as Christ promises us. Indeed, St John tells us in being led by the Spirit of God in our hearts, that we can live as children of God, alongside God's Son himself, Jesus Christ. So if I were to baptise little Orla or any other child in the name only of one or two persons of the Trinity, and there are some parts of the global church that baptise just in the name of Jesus Christ, and, and they are uh, felt by the rest of the church globally to be um, wrong, in doing so, to be honest, if I were to do that, I wouldn't be welcoming her into the fullness of life with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with which we are all blessed. And in the same way, if the idea that you or I have of God over or under emphasises one or two of his three persons and we don't engage with him in all three of them, granted that we all um, perhaps have uh, certain inclinations towards one or the other, particularly in our prayer life maybe. If we do that, we may be limiting our relationship with God as a whole, our understanding of him and all that he has done for us and continues to do for us. So in this regard, it's really helpful, I think, to turn to our other passage right at the very end of St Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. What many of us will know as the grace the prayer with which many of our gatherings together are drawn to a close. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We might think from these four short verses in 2 Corinthians that we're, um, that we're given for today um, by the Church of England's lectionary. Uh, we might think from them that uh, relations among the Corinthian Christians and between them and St Paul himself were all sweetness and light. That could be the tone taken from them. However, if you look back at the rest of the two letters, um, that 
couldn't really be further from the truth, um, it's fair to say. Paul's exhortations to them to rejoice and to strive for full restoration. Um, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, even in this short passage, um, are precisely because um, these are the sorts of behaviour that the Corinthians haven't really been showing amongst their small Christian community in that city. We can tell from both of Paul's letters to them that although there's much about which to be encouraged and to be joyful, there are clearly also many areas where they're far from living up to the call that Jesus places on the lives of all who follow him. And so in that way, they're, they're great examples to, to every single Christian community, not not a perfect Christian community. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian community. And in these two letters of Paul, as in um, his others, there are always um, areas where he not only encourages, but he also looks to advise and correct and suggest and recommend and command in some cases too. But as I'm sure it was to the Corinthians then, the grace can be of great help to us in our everyday faith and especially in our prayers if we reflect on our relationship with the three persons of the Trinity in how we pray. First of all, there is God the Father, the one to whom we pray, the one to whom we look, to whom we call out, cry out, the one who made the world and the one who loves all that has been made, every one of us, every living thing, who is also, as I said earlier, the one over all. Then there is Jesus, the one with whom we pray, God by our side, God in the life of this man who shared our life, this man who lived the life of God among us, and who poured out his life in love for us on the cross, that we might have life. And finally, there is the Holy Spirit, God in us, in our hearts, God in our guts even, a word that's often used uh, by Jesus and by Paul, where the, the, um, the, the ancient Greeks believed that our, the, the centre of our being was, the core of us was. God in us, in our hearts, in our guts even. The stream of living water in which we dip our toes, the stream in which we long to swim, the stream which filled the sun and can fill us too and bear us in love back to our source in God the Father. The life of the one God meets us in all these three ways and works through them to meet us when we pray, to catch hold of us, to bear us up and to take us home to our Father in heaven. So this Trinity Sunday, despite all the concerns about theological complexities, my prayer for each one of us is that you will find a renewed clarity in your understanding of and love for all three of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that you will know God's love for you through each one of them too. 
and that you'll see the outworking of that love afresh in your lives this day and always. If you'll forgive me for bringing some common worship liturgy into this service, Cranmer will be turning in his grave. I will uh, end with the collect for today from common worship. Holy God, faithful and unchanging, enlarge our minds with the knowledge of your truth and draw us more deeply into the mystery of your love that we may truly worship you, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.